Welcome to That Reminds Me of a Story, a podcast dedicated to exploring emerging trends in orality and the communication of the gospel. Our podcast focuses on interviewing practitioners, hearing what is happening in the field of orality, and answering common questions about the orality movement. That Reminds Me of a Story is co-hosted by Grant Lovejoy and yours truly, Don Barger. In each episode, we will host conversations with a wide variety of practitioners to discuss the impacts of working with oral preference learners from many different contexts and perspectives. Well, today's episode, Grant and I are going to talk about uh, something that he and I have spent about the last year working on, which is a project of understanding urban orality. And this is something uh, this kind of as opposed to what we've traditionally think, thought about orality as being something for more rural and um, tribal peoples, maybe in the Amazon or in the bush. Uh, we've really spent a lot of time focusing and learning about what happens in our urban cities, big, massive urban areas around the world. So Grant, why did we delve into this project? Why did we get started in this? Well, we're committed to people and getting the gospel to people. And of course, cities are growing. Uh, they now contain more than half the world's population. And that's projected just to increase. So that's where people are. Uh, cities change a lot. And so yeah. keep asking, you know, what, what's happening? What changes are taking place? And so we went to cities uh, to talk with people, uh, including people who've ministered in cities for a long time. We figured... They may have figured out some things. They may have learned some lessons that we could benefit from. And uh, we also went into those cities and talked with non-Christians and so forth. Well, I know that traditionally when we've gone and um, met with people working in urban areas, they have, well, sometimes people have said, yeah, that's great. That, that orality stuff is really good, but it doesn't really apply to me. Um, what Have you had that experience? Yeah, it's very common. Um you know, you know, I, you know, in the city, everybody can read is one of the things that people have sometimes yeah. said to me. Yeah. And I think we equate, uh, I think sometimes people equate reading is it's a, it's a yes, you can, or, or no, you can't. And they don't recognize the, this, this entire, um, spectrum of ability to read first. And then, uh, also, do people read just because they can? Is that is that how they get their information? Is it is it something they're really interested in? Right, and you know, even the what what it means to read. You know, I have been at the point in language learning where I could look at a line of you know, look at a sentence that's written in a language other than my first language, and I could pronounce every word in the line. So, in that very limited sense, I could read. But if you ask me what is the meaning of that string of words, that sentence, I couldn't yet put together the meaning of it. So at one level, at a very minimal, basic level, I could say, well, I can read it in the sense that I knew what sounds the letters made and such, but I wasn't comprehending it. And if you talk about reading as comprehension, uh, that's a higher bar. And if you talk about you know really skilled reading as being able to read on subject matter that's not familiar to you, then that's yet a higher level of competence. And so when we ask people to read a Bible, um, when they are not familiar with it, it takes a pretty substantial level of reading skill to be able to comprehend that. Yeah. So I, I just 
I think that I have been guilty over the years of focusing on rural or indigenous people, tribal peoples, and really recognizing out of absolute necessity that those people are oral communicators. And our early ministry overseas was amongst people like that. And, and so it was, it was just, that's a given. But then if you go to the city, um, I think the last year for me has really reiterated to me that the city is made up of people and not all those people originated in the city and not all those people even originated in the country that they're in. And so uh, there's, there's just a hodgepodge of people living in cities around the world. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk with our people who minister in cities about their city, you know, frequently they'll say, well, it's really diverse. It's not true of all cities in the world, but for many of them, yes, it's really diverse. And if you start trying to, to generalize about a city, they'll quickly say, well, it's just hard to generalize. You have to take it segment by segment. Yeah. And, and that's true about um, people's use of morality. It varies segment by segment. Yeah. You know, the last place we lived overseas, we lived over a decade in a city that it was primarily Spanish speaking, uh, a Spanish speaking city, but it was full of migrants. It was full of people migrating to the city, first generation people living in the city. And I remember um, being stopped one day in traffic, which was pretty frequent there. And I looked over and I see a man and a woman uh, reading a big announcement. They, in the city, they used to put big, huge placards on the walls. They would glue them up and people would go by and read these announcements. And it was in big, pretty big print. And I remember the man uh, following with his hand, looking at each word and, and touching each word as he said it out loud. And then he would look to his wife, who would then tell him what he had said. Mm. And I just looked at that and thought, wow, that is uh, the perfect example of probably she couldn't read. He could identify the words, but he really couldn't read for comprehension. And so as I thought, sat there and I, I watched this process unfold while I was in traffic, I thought if the gospel is ever going to get to this couple, it's going to have to come from a non-print model because they're, they're just not going to get it. And while we're, we are in a major city, we were in a, a, a large city, over 11 million people live there. And I had to think how many of the people who live in the city does this person represent? And I, I think that that's one of the things that we find over and over again in cities is that it is migrants who are coming there. Um, so they're much, they're very similar to the people who have just come out that are living in indigenous areas. So that's one group of people we find that um, they're, they're oral by necessity. But then, you know, in our research that we've done in, in many different cities, we identified other people who were highly literate, but they didn't get their information by reading. Right. And, you know, we've seen that this was coming and it's just growing um, in the number of people who have come to rely on forms of communication that at their base are oral, uh, but that's not because they lack education or lack skill. Uh, it's a matter of, you know, cultural trend. They use the forms that their friends use and um, some of the electronic means that are non-print are more pleasurable to a good many people. Yeah. And we set out um, when we did this research, you know, we set out with some kind of some ideas of what we would find. We, we recognize that um, 
that as these cities are, are complex, there, there could be differences in one city to another. But we did assume that uh, information flows rapidly within cities. In, in most of the cases, that's proven to be the case. Um, we did have some surprises. Uh, well, let me let me say before I get into what we found in our research, um, people may wonder, who did you talk to? And, you know, we visited uh, several uh, large cities around the world. We have uh, visited with our personnel from our organization, um, with personnel from other organizations. We met with, intentionally met with a mix of men and women and migrant people living in the cities and people who were born and lived and grew up in those cities, old and young. So I think we we did our best to have a very well-rounded sampling uh, within yeah, our cities. Yeah. And we talked with both Christians and not Christians. Yes. Yeah. Design as well. Yeah. So I, I think that our sampling, um, you know, when we set out to do this, we had a, a qualitative research specialist who sat down and told us the number of people we needed to reach, uh, to talk to, to get a good sample size. And I think we have probably gone six or seven times greater than his sample size, but that was on purpose. That was intentional. You know, we're really trying to figure out uh, a good understanding of what works kind of globally and then recognizing that in certain cities, uh, things would be a little bit different. Yeah. And our, our goal for the research was more than just gathering data. It was to have conversations with people yeah, to, you know, to follow up on those you know, questions we were asking them and, you know, talk with them about the, the, the answers. So we're about a conversation really uh, as a bigger goal. The research is a means to that end. You know, one of the assumptions that, that we went into this uh, research with is that we recognize or we assume, and I think this was true, that um, we know a lot of information about how information flows in a city and information and influence individually. We know a lot about that. And so you have individual team leaders who, who have great understanding in their context, but that information. So we we're talking about how information influence flow in a city. I want to talk about how it doesn't sometimes flow in an organization. And so sometimes we get these isolated pockets of information that are out there in the field and so one of our goals was to try to discover what we know corporately as an organization and as in, in missions in general of what we know about how information and influence flow in a city so that we can also see how the gospel is flowing, can flow, should flow uh, in cities as well. Yeah. You know, in any large organization, it it's easy for the left hand not to know what the right is doing, even when it would be helpful. And we're not immune to that. And so this is part of an effort to improve flow of information laterally across the organization and not just have it in silos within different um, you know, segments of the world, things like that. You know, if you look at um, something that's occurred throughout our, our interviews, that when we first began our interviews, there was not much of a conflict happening in Ukraine. Um, but then as our interviews progress, I remembered asking someone, um, if you wanted to know what's happening in the world, what would you, how would you go find information? And then that question in later interviews became, if you wanted to know what was happening in Ukraine, where would you go to get information? And I think that became a 
apparent to me because as I've watched this war happen in that country, as opposed to other wars or conflicts that I've been happened in my lifetime, it's I've never seen something that's played out live where information is flowing via social media very fast. Uh, you, you have a president of a country who is choosing to communicate with world leaders, not by picking up the phone and calling and explaining what they need. Um, sure, that's happening, but his primary way of getting what he's wanting has been lived out on Twitter and social media. And I just think that's fascinating. Yeah, it's the, the power of his appeals to people in these short videos, daily videos for his own countrymen. It's really been amazing to see how he has rallied uh, support of uh, Western Europe and others beyond the United States um, through these non-print forms of communication that are made possible by social media and digital yeah. communications generally. And I just think that is, it's what can we as Christians, I know that I'm, I'm conflating two very different things here, but I do think there's a takeaway for us. You know, he wasn't uh, writing out letters to the editor and mailing them off to the New York Times. He wasn't uh, using telegraphs to communicate. He wasn't writing essays and position papers and circulating them amongst people to read. He was going straight to the people and he was bypassing established ways of communicating. I mean, it's just totally bypassing news services, just getting his message out there. And I think there's some takeaways that as we have interacted with people and talking about Christianity, it's a very similar model in some of the countries that we've been in is that you can get information to people much quicker and easier than ever before. Yeah, you can if you uh, get your message in the channels that they use, if you get it in front of them in a format that appeals to them. And that really is um, kind of the cornerstone of, of our research. You know, just asking people, you know, tell me about the city where you live. You know, how do people find out what they want to know? How does information and influence flow in your city? It was very interesting. And, you know, we got a diversity of answers because cities are diverse. And some of that was generational where, you know, we'd say, we'd ask that. And someone would say, well, <clears throat> you know, the people over 65 probably still read a newspaper. And the people 50 to 65 may watch the TV news. But below 40, below 30, and certainly below 20, you have really different um, ways of getting information. And it was uh, a really stark difference in several different places. So there's a huge opportunity for us in getting our message out to people, but there's also a, a huge challenge. And that challenge is that there's a lot of noise out, it, out there and you, you hit on it. We have to get our message out in the channels that people are using. And then those channels are awfully crowded sometimes and lots of, of diverse messaging happening. And so um, it's, there, there's a great opportunity, but we've got to be wise in how we, we get that information out there. It's, it's fast. It's, it's rapid. People are sharing information. Um, and I think that's sometimes a challenge for us. Sure. Uh, many of our people who are in leadership roles uh, did not grow up as digital natives. And so it is not intuitive to them. They may still very much value 
uh, printed materials or uh, you know newspapers or other forms of communication that they grew up with. And you know, one of the things that really struck me is we interviewed a lot of people. We would ask them these questions. You know, how do people in your city get information? How does information and influence flow in different segments? And they would tell us. You know, often you know, it was most of the time it was some combination of different forms of social media. Then, you know, later in the interview, we'd ask, you know, to what degree is our ministry using those um, forms of social media that you said is where people get most of their information? And, and you know, it's really not surprising that frequently much. would say, it's like, well, not much, not as much as we should. Yeah. I think that kind of answer is that, you know, people recognize that the, the residents of their city are getting a lot of information through uh, non-print or minimally print vehicles like social media channels, but we haven't adjusted to it yet. We haven't taken that far enough to match what's what people are already doing. Yeah, and, and in some cases we're putting stuff out there, but it's still the old come and come to us, come see what we're doing, and it's almost like we're putting advertisements out. And what we've learned in our research is really digital engagement is is that I mean that engagement piece. So it's not advertising. It's not just a, a flyer that you are an image that you put on Instagram and say, hey, Friday night, we're going to hang out in the park. Come with us. Um, that may be what some people put out there, but engagement is understanding what people are drawn towards and engaging them with that. So uh, some examples, we did some digital engagement in, uh, during COVID and it was about hurting, you know. What are the things that you're preoccupied about and what are the things that you are upset or what what are you, keeps you up at night? And so as we learned that and we knew that um, sadness, loneliness were issues, then, then you could engage folks during with social media um, around those themes of loneliness and, and helping people pull into that. So I think that there's, there's a lot we can learn with uh, digital engagement. Uh, I, I'm drawn back to one of our interviews, lest uh, someone think, yeah, but people really like to read books. And I remember us uh, asking some of our some of our personnel, how do people get information? And they would talk about, well, they would, some people would mention maybe they would read about it. Or I think there was sometimes a, a mismatch of understanding of do people really read for pleasure? And they would say, well, yeah, I think a lot of people I know really read, but then you, you talk to those nationals and there was just a total mismatch and the folks would say, well, yeah, I really don't like to read. And it, we have a couple of examples of people, highly educated PhD level of uh, students in, in a major city who just basically said, I will only read if I'm made to read. I can't stand reading. And they get their information from, from videos, from, um, some other, I mean, podcasts are mentioned and, um, YouTube, a lot of times people would want, when you need to know information, what do you do? Well, I Google it. And then once I Google it, I'll watch a video on it. And then the videos are shared back and forth. And so I think these are things that some of our teams are experimenting with, of, of creating podcasts to, to address certain issues, felt needs that people have, um, answering questions, answering common questions with videos, um, series and, one one of the examples we heard about was a pastor in a very closed, oppressive country um, using, I mean, very brave, but he was using 
little short three minute videos that he was posting on Facebook or on Instagram, uh, answering questions about what is Christianity. And he would just take a topic, record a very brief minute, two minute video, post it. And then people would find those and become interested in learning more. And, you know, just recognizing that people have habits that they use, they follow in gaining information, looking for things, trying to find what they want to know about. And I was really impressed just how many of the people we we talked with who had come to faith in Christ as we asked them, you know, what was the journey? How did mm. you first hear about Christianity? What did you, where did you first hear about Jesus? And then how did you learn more? You know, many of them, especially um, from cultural settings where it was a real problem for men, them to go around asking people what's Christianity about, who's Jesus. Yeah. That, so they went on, um, you know, digital media online because it was safer for them. They could do that without being observed, without drawing attention to themselves. And one of the things I sat there, you know, after hearing several interviews like that, I thought, boy, the people who are putting the content on um, YouTube or elsewhere that these people are going to answering questions about what Jesus, who Jesus is, what Christianity is like, um, they're really playing a strategic role. As yeah. people say, I, you know, and they just start by something as simple as, you know, who is Jesus or uh, things like that. Yeah. And I think that there's, um, we, we saw that over and over again, as we talked to people about how did you become a Christian? Cause that's a common question we would ask everybody. So if it was a, a national who'd become a Christian, how did you come to faith? If it wasn't, if it was one of our, it was a missionary, we'd ask them, tell us a story of someone who's come to faith. And I think one of the so I'm going to contradict myself and, and back out of my digital engagement talk and say that digital engagement isn't the only piece of the puzzle. That is a very complicated puzzle. And this is another form of oral is that personal testimonies were almost, almost always uh, prominent and maybe the key pr- component of someone finding um, a faith relationship. And it, it it didn't always start with the personal testimony, but that was always a key critical component. So my takeaway from some of our findings were, yes, you can use digital engagement maybe as a funnel to get people to find out of the millions of people, the few who are interested, or maybe God's already working in their hearts. They're already searching for information, but people desire authentic relationships. And that has occurred in all of our research that has occurred when someone meets someone else and they share, this is what Jesus has done in my life. So that piece of the puzzle cannot be forgotten. Yeah. And, you know, even the, the, what we consider the better uses of digital engagement strategies, uh, they often think of them as uh, a funnel. Uh, not to replace human contact, but to help the Christians who want to talk with seeking individuals to, you know, be able to invest their energies in people who are really sincerely interested. And so uh, it's the digital engagement approach is just designed to do that, to foster genuine, authentic relationships with real people. Yeah. And I, neither one of us set out in this, I think if you had to ask us, um, where we were headed in our research, we probably, neither one of us would have said that digital engagement would have played as prominent of a role as it has. But, you know, as you start talking to people and you just sit down and listen to their stories, first of all, you realize that, that people in cities 
um, almost everybody has a phone. And if, if they don't individually have a phone, there's a phone in their family. And before they'll pay for other things, frequently they'll be putting data on their, on their mobile phones and people use phones a lot. And so uh, we, we jokingly show a picture of, of somebody of a, of a waiting room and you just see everybody's looking down at their phone. And so if that's where people are, that's where we need to uh, start doing some engagement. So it wasn't something that came to my mind initially, but as soon as we started doing the interviews, I realized how important it was. And then things like WhatsApp or your country's equivalent of WhatsApp, um, people share information frequently through those and they get in these group chats and lots of information is shared. And we even heard stories from some of our personnel where uh, people from other religions would share propaganda from their the other religion to our missionaries, trying to convert our missionaries to another religion. And how were they doing that? They were showing some YouTube video that they would send them in WhatsApp, trying to help them understand what they believe. So it's it's being used. Yeah, and I, I would add, you know, we, we need to make distinctions between uh, digital engagement, which is a broader um, effort. So, for instance, a website where you offer people a chance to download a Bible in PDF is certainly digital, but it's not necessarily social uh, engagement. Yeah, it's not that's very true. personal. It's you know, pretty impersonal. And one of the things that social media is really based on is the recommendation from friends, people you know, at least online, if not otherwise, and that personal endorsement that, you know, hey, I like this. And then you are prompted to go check out whatever content your friends uh, in social media have liked or, you know, forwarded in some form. Um, that, that social recommend, recommendation is a really big part of the impact. It's coming from a source that they have a fair idea about who they are and how trustworthy they are. Yeah, I, I know that there's um, some people maybe listening, thinking, well, how would I get started in doing digital engagement or social media engagement? And I'll tell you, it could be as simple as just intentionally looking to find people in your day-to-day interactions uh, online. But then there's also from there all the way over to a very comprehensive digital engagement strategy. You and I were just at a digital engagement um, training for several of our personnel and it's it's quite uh, it's quite a lot of work to to get people in there and, and the developing this strategy of engaging people. Uh, but you know if you don't have access to the people, if you're living in the diaspora, or if you're living um, as a non-residential person, uh, sometimes it's difficult to gain access. Well, digital engagement may offer that, and so you may want to pour more of your time and efforts uh, into developing a team of responders who can interact with those uh, people back in their homeland. Uh, but if even if you're in a city and you have access to your people, I still think that using social media, engaging people intentionally, uh, sharing good content with people, you know, you're riding in a taxi cab, you get out of the taxi and the taxi cab, you, know, you send him a WhatsApp message with a, a short video, you know, two, three minute video uh, that they could, and then with more information, like a call to action for them to go get more information, kind of building, nurturing that relationship and thinking about how you could uh, gain access to people. I, I remember early on in, when I lived in uh, big city, one of our biggest challenges was getting access to people. 
People live in high-rise apartment buildings. They live behind gated communities, uh, guards in the lobbies of, of their apartment complexes. How do you get into those apartment complexes? Well, this is one of the ways that you can start to foster relationships with people uh, online that then hopefully can turn into uh, a personal contact. Yeah. You know, it's, this is a rooted in a theological conviction and then some practical realities. Mm -hmm. Theological conviction is that God is at work drawing people to himself in yeah. love and in mercy. And so any place we go, even the places that we consider the hardest spiritually in the world, God is at work and he's drawing people to himself. And so part of what we need to do is figure out how to find them. And um, one of the early efforts of digital engagement within our organization that I'm aware of was where people couldn't physically uh, live uh, in the place where there were several million of the particular ethnic group they were trying to reach. And so out of several million, they said there's bound to be at least a small number of, of people who are seeking. So they used uh, uh, various forms of advertising on social media and things like that just to try to identify the people who really were interested in through a series of kind of filtering actions, um, found those people and they, they existed. There were people right. who were open who wanted to trust Christ, but just needed someone to help them understand the gospel and answer some questions about what it would mean if they followed Christ. And so, um, you know, it, this is part of the appeal is just being able to filter through millions of people in a major city and find 500 or a thousand people which is really a small percentage of a city with millions of population. But if you had a thousand really good leads for people who are interested, that would be a treasure trove. Sure. And probably more people than you could possibly follow up with. Yeah. Yeah. In, in fact, uh, as teams go down this road, I would recommend that they, they follow a key principle in their planning process uh, to ask themselves, you know, what will we do if this actually works? <laughs> Right. Because sometimes, really, uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty pretty frequent. People have found that they had they quickly could generate more leads than they could follow up on personally. Yeah. So I think that one of the things that we also discovered in this is uh, urban engagement is very different. Uh, urban orality looks very different than the types of orality that we've traditionally done, and so. Uh, we just need to be open to thinking about how people get information and then try to use those similar um, models for communicating the gospel, for discipling new believers. And it's not to say that that in a place where people do read or can read, but they don't really like to, it's not to say you never use print resources, but particularly if you are working in areas where people have told you, I do not like to read. And Yes, I can read, but only if I need, only if I'm forced to do so, then let's look for other ways to engage those folks and maybe continuously evaluate uh, the responses that we're getting from people, asking people the questions of, hey, how do you get information? And how do you learn about what's happening in the world coming up with just something that's current that's happening in the world? How would you get information about that? listening to that and then using those same media for engaging people. And I do think that podcasts have a huge future, uh, lots of potential and lots of part of the world's YouTube videos explaining, particularly we're not talking about sermons where 
There's a guy sitting behind a pulpit and he's preaching for an hour. But we often say in our interviews, you know, people will sit down and watch two hours of cat videos, but they didn't sit down thinking I'm going to watch two hours of cat videos. They thought, hey, here's a funny video. And before you know it, they've spent an hour or two watching videos on their phones. And I think the same thing is if you design content that is smaller, smaller portions, bite size, topical that you can engage people with, then they may spend a lot more time listening to your content than if you say, here, here's 45 minutes on this topic. I don't think you're going to keep people's attention very long. So even if it's oral, you've got to use the appropriate ways of using oral. Yeah, and what has happened in the last 20 years has been um, what uh, the early uh, researchers in orality referred to as secondary orality. Mm -hmm. They meant uh, it's an experience that is really large, is oral in its essence, you know, what it is, but it's made possible uh, by electronics so that it can happen even though you're not in the physical presence of people. So secondary means you're, you know, one hand removed or one step removed. So a, a podcast, when you think about it, it's very much like um, a dorm room bull session between, you know, opinionated people who are talking about important issues, whether it's who's got, who's the greatest of all time in a particular sport, or it's, uh, you know, what is About true. morality. Or, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, so podcasts are really natural. It's part of what's been human experience. The thing that's new is just as being delivered electronically. Yeah. Same, same kind of thing, you know, a lot of the how-to YouTube videos, the kind of thing you might learn from your parent or a friend or, you know, big brother or an uncle or something, you know, just how to do things, with, you know, around the house or, you know, in a hobby or things like that. But now um, people find them through YouTube instead of the actual human being who's showing them. And even, um, you know, the things that people do when they're texting, with a, a messaging app, uh, the, the the style of language they use is much more like a normal conversation than it is, you know, polished pe- uh, paragraphs. It's know? not prose. It's no. it's how we talk, right. and so it's much more like a conversation. Yeah. So stylistically, in feel, in basic patterns of communication, a lot of what we're seeing in social media is oral style. Even if, like in a Google search, you have to, you know, generally you type something into the search bar or, you know, you read the captions of something. So you get some more information, but it's largely image based or video based. Uh, so it, it is, it is a reality. It's not the reality that we've thought about stereotypically of the jungle or the bush, like you talked about earlier. Well, it's real morality. Yeah, it's very real. So there's a lot we can go on with this and uh, we will be sharing more information about our, our findings in urban orality. This is just the the first podcast uh, episode talking about this topic. But I would say that if if someone is listening to this podcast and thinking, hey, that's interesting. Uh, how would I find out more information? I think one of the t- things that our team would be happy to do is is visit with people and try to do some uh remote coaching and get, just getting them thinking about uh, those, the idea of how to engage people with oral models in an urban setting. So if you've got questions about that, 
feel free to reach out to us at orality at imb.org. And we would be happy to sit down and uh, just brainstorm together and listen to your strategy. Um, maybe do an interview like we've done with uh, over 200 people in the field right now. Uh, we can do some interviews, try to come up with some ideas of how to engage the people you're working with in the city. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you hear, please share it with others. We would really appreciate your helping us get the word out about That Reminds Me of the Story.